Welcome back to the 41st episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories. One talks about how conservatives have started to influence the market a little bit more with different investment funds. The criticism of Jordan Peterson's politics and position on supporting young men. And our last discussion will go international. And we'll talk about what's happening in Turkey and how these next elections may play out for them. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight. A story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into our daily debate. And this really pertains to our first article. Is ESG a natural progression of a free market? And I know that sounds a little weird if you know what ESG is, but let me rephrase or at least elaborate. Large companies wielding their power and their influence that they have gained by the benefit of the free market to benefit them and to get results that they want. Is that a natural progression of a free market? Or is there something else at play here that we can't really see as normal investors? I'd love to hear your opinions down there. If you don't know what ESG is, I'm going to describe it here in about a second or two when going into this article. And then you can come back and put that comment down there in the comment section if you have any thoughts. All right, our first article comes from The Daily Signal. Investment fund boycotts these 29 companies hostile to conservative values. So, as I just mentioned, this discussion over ESG has become very contentious over the last few years. A lot of people don't want a small minority of investment firms who have a large amount of money dictating what is happening or how these other companies that are listed on public indices are operating their business. Think of BlackRock, think of State Street. And like I said, let's describe the ESG score. So an ESG score is a score that indicates three different subcategories whether you're environmentally focused, whether you're socially focused, and the way that you govern your company. And it's a score that's given to these companies that tells investors who care about ESG, who care about the environment, what these companies are doing for social issues, helping people, diversity, equity, inclusion, so on and so forth. So that score for the people that care indicates, okay, this is a company that aligns with my social values or at least says to care about some of these issues and I want to invest my money there. And it sounds very good-hearted at the top of it. It sounds like, okay, we're trying to invest in companies that care about our planet, that care about our society and are trying to benefit our society and that they're governing their business in an equitable way. Like, all of that on the surface sounds absolutely phenomenal. But then we scratch the surface paint just a little bit. We go a little bit deeper underneath. And then we understand that certain companies who have been pushing the ESG score, these large investment firms on Wall Street, are actually using it as a way to control boards. 
So they've gone in and they've gone to these boards. They've put in proposals saying you need to follow these ESG guidelines, essentially, or else we'll replace you. And at the end of the day, they can do this. It's a free market. They have large shares in these companies. So they have the ability to go in and say, we are going to ask for a vote to replace this board member because we don't believe that they are helping the company get to our final goal. They're not helping with the ESG score. They're not trying to be socially conscious, environmentally conscious. So we're going to get rid of them. But over time, these companies can use that to shift the culture in these companies, which then market their products out to society as a whole. And they employ a certain type of person with certain values. And over time, it shifts the demographics so that either you're constantly seeing these products being advertised in a certain way, which then influences people as to what they should value in products. But then over time, also on the business end, if a lot of these larger companies are pushing ESG, then it's going to be presumed that you have to care about ESG to get hired at those companies, which means that you have to kind of imbibe that worldview. And even if you don't necessarily believe it deep down, you have to, quote unquote, pretend that you do and kind of fit in with the mold. And I'm, I know it's a little bit far reaching and cons- not conspiratorial, but uh, the implications that I'm giving here are much larger than, oh, these companies just give them an ESG score. Investors should invest in them because they have a high ESG score. But you have to look at the bigger picture. Over time, it's a way to influence society in the way these companies want them to go. It may not be five years. It may not be 10 years. But over the span of the next 20, 50 years, if they can get a lot of these larger corporations to push this environmental social governance ideology, not ideology, that's bad, but if they can get these companies to focus on that, then it's going to filter down into culture. So we have companies that have said, okay, there are these large investment funds pushing ESG, and that doesn't necessarily align with our conservative values. So let's come up with our own funds that push back against this. And this is where we have this article highlighting a institution called Ridgeline Research. Quote, Ridgeline Research is an investment advisor to the American Conservative Values Exchange Traded Fund, and that ticker symbol is ACVF. And what that particular fund does is we try to give investors the best returns we can without exposing them to companies that we believe are hostile to conservative values. We exclude companies in our portfolio that may be hostile to conservative values, companies that are on social media like Twitter or Facebook or Meta, which don't allow conservatives the same exposure as they might otherwise have, and companies in the media itself like Comcast, which owns MSNBC. We exclude them, as well as the New York Times. Essentially, we're trying to replicate the performance of the S&P 500 as best we can while excluding companies that we believe are hostile to conservative values, end quote. And though this is not in totally in response to ESG, it is one of the main factors. Many, many companies care about their public image, and rightfully so. That's why you see them taking up this ESG score, because it's a way to s- present themselves 
as caring about the environment, like I said earlier, about society. And even if they don't necessarily believe all of these things to their core, they still want to appear like a good company who cares more than just about their bottom line. And that's the trap that these companies get caught in. But now this fund is coming in and saying, okay, if you want to espouse those views, good for you. You can sell your stock to that other fund, but we're not going to be investing in you. And now these companies really have to question. I'm not saying that one company at Ridgeline Research is actually making a huge difference. But the fact that certain conservative movements are at least willing to speak up and come out and have that conversation saying, okay, they don't hold our values or they're openly against our values, then no, no, we're not going to invest in them. It's finally a little bit of extra pressure from the right, which I think is necessary, whether you're left or right. Having one side completely dominate the conversation, as the author puts it here, the a very loud minority. You've probably heard that term a whole bunch. But having one side completely dominate the conversation is going to lead to that side getting what they want for the most part and eventually winning out. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing that the people on the left went out. What I'm saying is if only that one side is heard, then there's not a balance. There's not uh, one other side pushing back. Certain values are lost over time. And some values like liberalism on the left are have, are, have made America what it is today. But there are also values on the conservative side, the tradition, family, faith, that have made America what it is today. So we need the balance of both sides because they have both been crucial in developing what America is. We can't let one side run rampant. And this is a free market response by these investors and these fund managers saying we are going to have an alternative to the Black Rocks, the State Streets, and we are going to encourage these companies to either embrace conservative values or just simply stay neutral and stay out of the game of politics. As the author puts it once again, they should not be involved in the game of politics. They should just do their job. And I think there's a certain point to that. At the end of the day, I do not want to be told why it's bad for me to buy a certain razor. I don't want to be told that, oh, no, no, you can't buy these baby wipes because they're not fully uh, recyclable. You can't just throw them on the ground and they'll just dissolve over time. I don't want to be lectured sometimes. Sometimes I care. Sometimes I really want to be conscious of what I'm buying, why I'm buying it, and is it good for the environment. But some other times I'm like, I just need to buy something. I need to get this product. Does this serve my purpose? I don't want to be lectured. I don't want to have to look up reviews and then have a whole list, which is, this is not environmentally safe. I'm like, okay, great, fine. If I care, if I can really take the time to care about that another day, great. But right now I just need paper towels. I just need the paper towels that work, period, full stop. So, you know, a lot of people are becoming tired of this overly pushy side of the conversation. And we'll see how this Ridgeline research and other companies that are springing up like it pan out. We'll see if there's enough solid backing from the conservative side saying, okay, well, we want companies that do well also fall within our values. 
But then they're going to have to ask themselves, do I really want to lose out on the potential of Apple, that stock that could 2x? Do I want to lose out on Amazon, which historically has done really well, but they don't necessarily share my values? So that's going to be another issue here. The infrastructure exists for conservatives to invest in conservative companies. But conservatives, are they really going to say that my values matter enough to me that I'm going to give up the possibility of making a little bit more money? And that's why the left has dominated this side of the conversation, because their values, they hold them so tight to the chest that they're willing to lose. They're willing to say to companies, you're going to lose a little bit of money, but you're going to be more social. Uh, you're going to be more environmentally friendly, more socially adept. You're going to care more, and you're going to benefit society. Some people on the left are willing to lose their profits in order to push their thought process and in order to influence things the way they want them to come out. Some other conservatives may not be that way, and that's what the next stage of this evolving question is: Are conservatives going to? give up the possibility of extra money, the security that may come in their pension fund, retirement fund, in order to show that they care enough about their values and to get these companies to actually listen. So that's the next part of that one. I went on a little bit further rant than the article does, but I think it is a very interesting conversation that definitely needs to be had. But let's move on to our next article. This one comes from another daily website. Look at that. You're on the Daily Flip website. You just got one from the Daily Signal. And now, guess what? Guess what? This one comes from the Daily Beast. Jordan Peterson's politics make life harder for young men. While Jordan Peterson has been let back onto Twitter, all the controversy that comes along with him has been brought back into the forefront of the conversation. Quote, he regularly bashes both the Democratic Socialists, NDP, National Democratic Party, in Canada, and their approximate equivalents, the American squad of congressional progressives. He obsessively hates Canada's milquetoast liberal premier, Justin Trudeau, and thinks the British Labour Party, led by the bland centrist Keir Starmer, would turn the UK into Venezuela. And if he gives a mixed review of Donald Trump, he's unhesitant in his praise for Mike Pence, end quote. And you may be asking, why is that quote in there? I think it's crucial to understand where Peterson stands before we go into the rest of this article. Because this article really does come down on him and say that he's shifted from a middle-of-the-road conservative, a person who's in the center but has some conservative leanings, to a far-right commentator. And I would have to disagree with that point, and I'll push back when it's uh, accurate. But there are times where I've listened to his old stuff and I listen to his new stuff, and I say, okay, he's really developed his thinking a little bit further on this one. He's had time to sit down, and maybe that's led him to go a little bit more right in some of his thinking. But at the end of the day, he is still a very liberal conservative, if that makes sense. He's a very Canadian conservative, let's put it that way. So the author is trying to say that Peterson has shifted more to the right, but Peterson himself has addressed this claim and has just said that the left has actually moved further left, and that's why he appears more to the right. And I think that's an interesting comment. We saw Elon Musk say the exact same thing on Twitter 
a few months ago, and we've I've talked to people personally in America, I'm not saying Canada, who have said the left has gone a little bit further than I would like. I, I would have considered myself a liberal uh, years ago, but now I would probably say I'm a moderate. And I think that holds true for a lot of people. There are some other people who may disagree. They may say, oh, we haven't gone left enough. But those are probably the people that are in the center of the left right now, <laughs> and they want to keep pushing until they're considered a liberal. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about here, my reference point is the Overton window. So if you're looking at the window into American politics, there's the center, there's the right, there's the left. Over time, the Overton window shifts in one direction or another. If you look at the UK, it's slowly shifted to the left. So that center point is now where liberal on the left used to be. And then that conservative point, that segment on the right, is where the middle was back in the day. And where that left-hand side is, was back in the day, now they're even further off to the left. That's what I'm getting at. Not a great explanation. Maybe in the future when I have video elements, I'll just be able to throw something up, highlight it real quick. But for now, audio only, that's what I'm going to have to do. So Peterson has been very outspoken. He's really been a thought leader in inspiring young men to get their affairs in order and how to take control of their life. But the article kind of pushes back, saying, quote, if these men don't feel a sense of security and stability and connection to others in their lives, the primary culprit isn't feminism or casual hookups. We live in, a, live in a deeply economically precarious society where unionized cab drivers with benefits and retirement plans have been replaced by Uber drivers who the company is desperate to not have classified as its employees. Even academics are far less likely to get jobs at tenure track as tenure track professors than to spend all their time driving around between three campuses where they have gigs as adjuncts. If they're attracted to socialist policies, it's less because they've been indoctrinated as, quote, postmodern neo-Marxists, end quote, than because they don't have health insurance, end quote. And I think it's a very good point. And I'm not saying at the end of the day that that is the only contributing factor, because I think Peterson has a lot of good points, which is that certain men and women, he does speak to women, even though it resonates more with men, they feel like they don't have a purpose in their life. And Peterson is a big proponent of hierarchy and the natural fit. And that's not his words. I'm just kind of using my own language for it, natural fit. There are natural things that men are better at than women are better at. There are things that women derive more joy from doing than men derive more joy. One of the more famous clips that you've probably seen of Peterson is men like things, women like people, and they derive more joy from those two separate categories. Men enjoy going out and working on their motorcycle. That gives them joy. The women, they enjoy having friends over and having a conversation and talking about what the kids are doing and things of that nature. So that's kind of, it's a very basic view of what Peterson's getting at. And the other aspect of it is that in this society, they feel as though with these shifting norms that no longer is it acceptable for guys just to be okay with things and women just to be okay with people. And they kind of have to take on both characteristics. We're trying to break down these norms. 
that certain people feel lost in the world. And Peterson really recommends having a structure to your life that encourages you to do what you want to do, but also not be unproductive. If you want to get that job, if you really want to get a certain job, work at it two time, two hours a day, then take an hour break, come back, do it two more times. Keep doing that every single day. Build a routine. Get into habits that are healthy for you, and eventually you'll find satisfaction in that. And this author here is saying, that's great, and I, I think that there may be something to that, but it's not just because gender norms are being broken down and there's a postmodern neo-Marxist movement. It's that even if these people follow these rules, is that the economy is in such a shambles that these young kids, these millennials, these Zoomers, Gen Z, they cannot build wealth. They cannot actually go out and get that job that they wanted to get and have uh, upward mobility through the class system because it's so inequitable. And that's what the author is really getting at here. And I think there's actually important aspects to both of those conversations. You do have to buckle down. You have to build a routine. You have to try to actively be satisfied and work towards something at all times so you feel as though you have a purpose. Even if you don't think it's your grander purpose, having small goals that lead to that grander purpose, that is satisfying and that allows you to be motivated and to keep pushing through to your goal, but also to a point where you are satisfied with the work that you've put in and you are happy looking back saying, I worked for what I've got. I worked hard enough. I took the time. I was disciplined. But also, it's a system that really discourages that at the end of the day. It's hard to get where you want to go. And that's where I think these two perspectives could come together so much more nicely, which is, yes, the system, uh, the system, quote unquote, isn't necessarily the most fair thing in the world. It's not easy to go out and just get a job. But if you buckle down and you really try to take the time to be disciplined and really develop yourself, then you can be above the rest of the pack and take advantage of the fact that it, once you get in this economic system, once you're a part of it and you're moving up it, then you are way better off than anybody else who's just starting and is disadvantaged by it. And I think there's a nice synthesis between their two points, even though the author definitely wouldn't agree with me. She would say that you still can't work hard enough at the end of the day. You can't buckle down enough to actually overcome the problems with the economy. And I, I would disagree, but I think that it's an important conversation that I wanted to bring up here because there's a connection between their points, and I think the author is either choosing not to see it or they don't want to see it. And I think Peterson would also agree that the system itself is a little bit unfair because there are natural hierarchies that he even supports at some point because it allows for a structured system. So that's enough ranting about Jordan Peterson. Some people probably be yelling at me down in the comments. I get it. But he's back on Twitter. If you want to go look at his stuff and see his opinions for yourself, maybe I didn't summarize them the best in the world, go ahead and do that. I don't know what his Twitter handle is. I don't follow him. So have fun with that. All right. Our last article comes from The Dispatch. Turkey on the brink. So in a small town known as Istanbul, yes, 
I am being sarcastic. Erkin Amulogo, I think that's how you pronounce his name, but I may be wrong, has put pressure on the Turkish president, Recep Erdogan in his next bid for president. Irma Mugu Blue, I'm going to I'm going to just call him Ima from now on just so I don't sound like an absolute idiot. Actually can't run for office because of the stri- restrictions that Erdogan has put on Ima's campaign and the fact that he said basically outright, nope, you can't run. There are questionable things going on with the election here. We think that it's fishy that you wa- you won in Istanbul, so you can't run for any other office. But Ima is at this point becoming more of a, a symbol that someone who is not backed by Erdogan can actually win. Quote, Ima rose to national prominence after beating Erdogan's handpicked candidate for Istanbul mayor in 2019. After a partisan election commission canceled the results over alleged fraud, he won the repeat election by nearly 10 points. The opposition now hopes to translate local wins like Ima's into success in Turkey's upcoming presidential election, end quote. And currently, Erdogan has a six-party opposition bloc that wants to take him out of office. Imagine if Trump ran again, And the Independent Party, the Democrats, the Republicans, the Nationalist Socialist Party, some other far-right party, and some other party all came together and said, no, you're not getting back into the presidency. Six different parties. That's insane. They really don't want this guy in office, and he sees it coming, and he does not like it. But the question is, will the coalition hold? I mean, we don't know. For now, it seems that they're unified against Erdogan, but these are a lot of different factions that have really countervailing views that at the end of the day could cause them to be pit against each other here in the future. Once they win, maybe they fall apart, or maybe they fall apart before then if Erdogan can peel some of them off. And this comes at a time when Turkey is in a really tight spot. Quote, Turkey's annual inflation reached its highest rate in nearly a quarter century at 85% last month. Yet Erdogan, who exercises unprecedented control over his country's monetary policy, holds fast to the unorthodox belief that cutting interest rates can tame inflation. The president has championed policies like raising the minimum wage and building affordable housing to cushion the blow of rising prices for voters but the spending programs only exacerbate the problem they seek to offset, end quote. So, to summarize here, you have an authoritarian leader in a country with rising inflation, growing ties to Russia, oh, oh, and don't forget, this is the big one, about the oppression of the Kurdish population and their attempts to bomb the Kurdish population in Syria. So, No wonder the opposition coalition has formed against him. He has some very controversial policies that at the end of the day can be very divisive and are not helping Turkey. So there's also pressure from the United States to stop aiding Russia. So currently Turkey is working with Russia to have a workaround to get their oil into the EU. And the U.S. is not happy about this because it's, one, allowing Russia to get around sanctions, essentially, But two, it's also pushing Turkey, another border nation of the EU, into the grasp of Russia, and it's growing Putin's alliances, and we don't want to see that. Quote, but Washington and our 
and Kara increasingly find themselves on opposite sides of the battlefield in Syria, giving Turkey's president another target for stroking nationalist fever ahead of the election. Erdogan on, Erdogan on Monday accused the U.S. of supplying, quote, equipment and munitions and weapons to the terror region of Syria, reinforcing American backing for the Kurdish SDF. American support for the Kurdish militia, militias is only one of the gripes Erdogan has about his NATO ally. Taking shots at Western partner powers like the U.S. has long resonated with Turkish voters. It's a very big narrative. They are against us, said Emery Erdogan. No relation, a professor, a professor of political science at Istanbul Bulu University. While the opposition isn't immune to anti-Western sentiment, its leaders tend to favor positive engagement with NATO, of which Turkey is a member, and the European Union, which Turkey isn't a member of, viewing Ankara's recent antagonism as self-defeating, end quote. So the article's getting at here that the walls are closing in on Erdogan, and at the end of the day, he may have support and he may have total control and he may be able to change the results. I'm not saying he's rigging elections. I would never say that. Nope. Turkish leaders that are listening right now, I'm not saying it. Don't you dare come to my country and adopt me. I'm not saying he's rigging any elections. But, (laughs) no, just kidding. But at the end of the day, there is an opposition force that's willing to stand up here and they may be able to overcome some of these barriers that have been put in place to get Erdogan out of office. All right. So with all that negative stuff out of the way, and some of it wasn't negative, it was positive life advice from Jordan Peterson as well. And if you're a conservative, then the conservative fund conversation at the beginning may be encouraging. And if you're a liberal, you may be like, how dare they come in and try to use politics to influence the stock market, so on and so forth. So I don't know any of your opinions on that. But this is the part where we can all come together. It's our daily delight. And this one comes from, let me pull it up here, the Animal Rescue Site. Golden Lab Unrecognizable After Playing in the Mud. So as a kid, did you ever run out while it was raining to try to jump in those big mud puddles? Well, I did, and I'm going to be honest, I don't think I ever got as dirty as this guy did, this pup did. Quote, a sweet pup from Australia is taking the internet by storm thanks to his passionate love for the mud. As a dog owner, there's something special about watching my pup play freely in the yard. He loves to run and sprint off the leash, but there's one thing that really makes me second-guess letting him go free, and that's mud, end quote. But yeah, like I said, I don't know if I ever got as dirty as this boy Otis here. Quote, Otis, the golden golden Labrador retriever, lives with his family in Australia, and he loves to play in the mud. In fact, while he's technically a golden lab, after his spat with the mud, he's more like a chocolate lab, end quote. If you want to see any of the cute photos of Otis rolling around in the mud... Uh, They will be linked in the description below that like and subscribe button, along with any of the other articles from today. And also down there is my Twitter handle, at your daily flip. If you want daily news, commentary, quote tweets, anything of that nature, go there. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I post a link to the podcast so you could get easy access to it instead of having to come onto YouTube and search it all up. 
All right. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.